0: Hello, and welcome to The Burning Castle, where each week we take a journey with someone who's looking at a world on fire and asking how they can bring their own form of iconoclastic change to make things a little or a lot better. For those who aren't familiar, The Burning Castle is a reference to the original iconoclast Abraham, who sees a burning world and asks if there's no master at home to put out the flames. The response he receives is to go out and become a stronger person so he can create a better world. With your host, Ashley Rinsberg.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Burning Castle. This is your host, Ashley Rinsberg. Today we'll be talking to my great friend, Brooklyn-based writer and photographer, Zach Ponce. Zach talks about what it means to create in a world in flux and how creativity is at essence an act of self-growth and empowerment. You can check out Zach on Instagram at Ponce. that's Z-A-C-H-P-O-N-T-Z, or on his website at zackpontz.com. Just as a reminder, this episode was recorded back when the show was called The Meaning Creators, in case you hear that name pop up in the interview. Now, on to the episode. Let's get into the real deal here. So, when we're talking about you, well, before I make any assertions, let's go back and you tell me, you tell us who you are and what you do and what's your creative field and how you got there.
2: My name is Zach Bond. I'm in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm I'm a photographer and also a writer. My focus right now is on photography. I got here in a sort of roundabout way. I started in uh, broadcast journalism just by chance, and I transitioned to a uh, more editorially focused Version of that, and then slowly but surely, I became a photographer through my experiences
1: that I was exposed to. Uh, I haven't looked back. When you say I've become a photographer, what does it mean to you to be a photographer? Because there's as many types of photographers as there are photographers themselves. So for you, what is that? Do you mean
2: my focus or my broader concept? Yeah, both. Uh, i think what it means is that my days months years are filled with photography that's what i mm-hmm. do to pass the time and i'm also fortunate enough to make something of a living at it mm-hmm. and so uh, it's what gives me meaning and what it's, about it's how it's how i massage that creative urge
1: and what about the the focus aspect of it how do you focus your uh, work and your subject matter and your the type of photography that but...
2: yeah I, I focused on I've sort of drilled in on architecture, interiors, design, that sort of world. And I think that there's probably some deeper psychological reasons for that, just based on the way I've always been influenced by my surroundings, how they Mm -hmm. made me feel. And uh, so, you know, in a way, I'm Exercising a very sort of visceral form of photography it's just responding to my surroundings, but it also goes deeper than that. I'm also exploring my own sort of
1: psychological reasoning. So, and what is that? What's what is the reasoning behind? The I, I don't know. I'm
2: still I'm still in exploration mode. I think it, it has to do with the, the subconscious and a certain type of escapism, being able to enter a space and escape and mm. fan- fantasize mm-hmm. put, put yourself somewhere that you want to be as opposed to where you are
1: yeah that, i get you that's interesting when i think about that i think about a lot of spaces that for me are part of either europe or america but not israel mm-hmm. like they're not interior i mean there are some here but i don't come across them or really have access to them but you know when you see these like these home interiors and, and like architectural digest or something. And I personally have this kind of like feeling of relief. You're like, ah, that openness, whatever it is, the simplicity of that space, the purity of it. But then I think to myself, like what you're saying, the escapist element to that, because when I think about life and I look at my surroundings and where I live and where the rest of us live, you're kind of like, that's not this, you know? So how do you square, how do you bridge the gulf between the reality that we all exist in and those spaces which are to an extent imagined even when they're real mm-hmm. yeah I, and I think it, it goes deeper than that even
2: if we look back in history I've recently become very interested in a photographer named Robert Polidori and I was watching him being interviewed and he mentioned how you know he, he worked in film in his 20s and then in his 30s he he transitioned into photography and One of the reasons was because he had been exposed to a book called The Art of Memory. And when he read The Art of Memory, he learned that ancient memory systems basically revolved around rooms. You know, people would place objects Mm -hmm. in in the rooms and then identify them. And that's because rooms were memorable, basically. I mean, they they were spaces that were impactful. Right. And, you know, our lives are contained, basically.
1: I read how someone, one of those professional memory people you know memory whatever they are and he talked about how to memorize a deck of cards and that's what he says he said choose 10 rooms in your house exactly and that's how you are going to actually or five rooms or whatever it is and it makes me think about the rooms that the rooms that have meant so much to me in my life you know grandparents the the rooms of a grandparent's home or parents or or anything else or my, the rooms i've existed in but what's the escapist element for you it's something almost Kuwait. like I, i
2: can't really put my finger on it but i think it's when i am inhabiting a space i'm nowhere else the outside world sort of fritters away and i can place myself in a more peaceful environment if i focus on it like you know i might be in a room where um i find the the ceilings to be, you know, old and beautiful and that relaxes me. It takes me to a time where, and, and uh, again, a lot of it is sort of delusion and escapism where I'm telling myself that, you know, these places are better than where I currently am or mm-hmm. a better, better time in history or whatever. But, you know, there might be architectural elements from a different era and take me to that era. There might be some sort of signifier within that space that reminds me of a place I've been that's really what I'm looking for and what influences me
1: I saw I think it's your photos if I'm not mistaken on um purple magazine of COVID New York during COVID yeah and there was this there are a few but there was one of I forget the name of the station the ground zero subway station they
2: built yeah the Fulton like, street yeah the full Street. they call it the oculus the building
1: the right so that which is in your photos com- there's literally two people in a station that probably has thousands of people, hundreds at any given moment in a normal period. And it's completely empty besides those two people. And I'm sure it was designed with, you know, certain touch points in mind, such as a cathedral, which is what it looks like. It looks like a skeletal cathedral, a cathedral that's almost made from like a a whale's gigantic whale skeleton, something like that. But it was because there were no people in it that the photo is not only interesting, but it gives the whole space a certain kind of feeling. And when I looked at the other photos in the series that you did of New York and COVID, I had the same feeling, even though a lot of those other photos were outdoors. But the yeah. fact that you had no people in on these streets almost gave it a sense that there was a ceiling And walls to this space it's like the street became an indoor space in a weird way no exactly
2: and I think uh, a space is different without people I think people activate that space and make it make it a different experience so that is one of the elements of a space itself especially obviously public space is how it's used by people and how that impacts the the experience so yeah I think in the uh, initial days of coronavirus people were very fascinated with visual how these massive cosmopolitan areas sort of filtered out and became I mean empty really. I was walking down the middle of Fifth Avenue at rush hour. Like I couldn't imagine in my yeah. life I've ever walked down the middle yeah. of Fifth Avenue and Rush Hour FaceTiming with family and friends going, look what's going on right now. Right. So that's an entirely different experience. For me that wasn't I wasn't on Fifth Avenue, I was on some grand street in the middle of one of the you know, most populous uh, urban areas in the world. And I was just exploring it on my yep. own without, as you say, the normal sort of touch points. So yeah, I mean, there's just so many
1: different ways to explore space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in this case, it, it almost as if it's when it freezes, Physically and spatially, then you are left standing in time. You're standing in a place that almost could be, or feels like, it's exactly the way it is physically, aside from the absence of cars. But it feels like it's from a different dimension of time, you know, where everything stops for for an hour or days or weeks or whatever. Something that doesn't occur in in our normal space time reality. But the odd thing for me, when I think about it, living in Israel, is that that happens once a year, every year on Yom Kippur, where there's complete standstill, no cars, the freeway becomes a bicycle grounds, The kids are just riding their bikes on the highway. And to me, that seems very normal because one day out of the year, it feels like we should stop. It doesn't feel like a street should be continually trafficked, nonstop, every minute of every day, of every year, of every decade. Of every century that seems like lunacy in a way and that to me was one of the big takeaways from and i think for other people from this whole crisis was we are all going way too fast way too intensely way too much we need to slow down in so many ways politically environmentally culturally socially personally so maybe that's a part of it maybe that also is connected to what you're saying about photographing a space you know because you're capturing that space in time and you can exist with it in that little slice of time where otherwise it's constantly emotional. Uh Yeah. Um, I mean, first off, let
2: me go back and address one thing you said, which I, you know, I agree with, which is, you know, when these spaces empty out, it's almost like time stands still. Well, yeah, it actually does stand still because time is imposed on our world by, by people. So once people aren't there, there is really is no such thing as time. Like I can look at my watch and tell me it's, you know 124 in new york city that's because the human race has developed this system that allows it to create a schedule for itself and bring some order but the, the world doesn't care like you know nature doesn't have any mm-hmm. concept of time. and so yeah i mean i i think it's it's really true time does stand still without people mm-hmm. around to uh, impose it on a space and then what you just said, yeah. I mean, definitely, uh, there's uh, a calming influence of being in a, a space that you know is sort of inoculated.
0: For one thing, I think
2: we're in sort of like a at the end of industrialization, in the in the sense that we're starting to see the effects of nonstop consumption of this kind sure. activity and sure. what it's doing to us. I mean, yeah. the coronavirus coronavirus comes from an animal comes from nature um one of the reasons that it, we've become so susceptible to these bugs is because of the way we are treating nature not to get into a, a longer conversation about
1: that it, we've become
2: abusive it, it, i don't even know that we're abusive i i think it goes beyond that i think we've just become we we've become this out of control like cancer can't i don't think cancer doesn't know what it's doing It just spreads and spreads until it's we've uh, we've become a,
1: a virus oh yeah uh, we've become yeah
2: exactly we've become a virus we've which evolved. is what
1: which is what the agent says to to not to neo i think to morpheus in the matrix where he's trying to explain why they're trying to wipe out He's like you're a virus i mean not not that the machines did a better job with the planet but that's kind of the feeling but you know it's on the other hand, we have to think, okay, so what's, then, what's the way forward for us? How do we find redemption? And I definitely think that there is a rising awareness that we, like you said, we're, at the, we're at a, in a corrective phase, hopefully, after the horrors of the Industrial Revolution. I mean, it, it did amazing things, it brought miracles to humanity, but it also came with a heavy price tag because price. we're greedy, we're, we have hungry mouths.
2: Yeah, I think the silver lining would be that, you know, we and we've seen this in the last few months, the planet has a resounding ability to heal itself quickly. And whether or not we allow that process to continue or we go back to our old ways remains to be seen. I approach it pessimistically from what I've seen. I mean, the reality is, is that people don't like giving up the, you know, the the pleasures and joys of life. Yeah. They don't like... The the ego. They don't like
1: sacrifice. It's all about the pursuit of the self and the self's desires. And and they can't... Most people have no awareness of it. Absolutely not whatsoever, sadly. But when I think about, in two ways, when I think about Judaism, and you look at the story of the Jewish people, and that's the pattern. They are given a lot of gifts they misuse them abuse them treat everything like crap they get a slap across the head from god and they for two seconds they're behaved better and then same back in the same habits back in the same pattern back into the same abuse. and the other part of it when i think about the jewish commentary on the world in which we live is that when you think about all the weird esoteric laws and practices that we all do at the end of the day the cumulative effect or at least the intention is to rein in the self put limits on your appetites and your desires put limits on how important you are in your own eyes and make make it so that you're absolutely not important at all that would be nice but then you would be taking meaning away from a large portion of humanity
2: i think i don't i don't think the human brain is meant to be told that it's no fortunate.
1: no no not that it's worthless not that it's worthless the opposite that your potential as a human being is goes so far beyond your ability to get the latest kanye limited edition sneakers that you have the Sat- ability satisfying <laughs> it's sa- it's so satisfying as someone who came from that culture and lives in it and loves it it's so satisfying but then i i limit my own self because judaism says to you you could change somebody's life today you could go out today right this minute find someone suffering and alleviate their suffering instead of finding those shoes you can perform a miracle that's how, how that's how much worth you have whereas the worthless attitude of life is that i'm just a machine for consumption i'm not even really a consumer i'm just cog in the gigantic machine i don't ex- sure and and that is unfortunately a symptom of our culture and,
2: and but also our politics we see it right yeah. now in the united states so like get back to work get back to work and it's more political than anything i mean for sure the governments realize that if the economy's not good then their political prospects aren't good and it's a two-way street because. The reason for that is because of the societies that we live in, where our expectation is that above all else, we will live in comfort, and we will have enough money in our pockets to consume and to have the at least the bare necessities. We need basically a systemic change, and I don't know that we're capable of that. Yeah. It, it really r- remains to be seen. I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that based on what I read and what I see, the type of change that we need to make and quickly, I don't know that it's on a scale that we can address.
1: When you think about yourself as a photographer, an artist or creator, whatever you define it as, in this environment, or I was thinking about this today as myself myself as a writer, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at these horrific images and videos of Americans beating each other literally senseless on the streets, police beating people senseless, people trying to beat the police. Everyone is just, it's a country that's run amok. And I'm thinking to myself, what does it mean to write these stories in this environment? What are my stories gonna do for anyone? How can anyone pay attention to a story when this is going on? I don't know what the answer to I think I might have an answer, I don't fully know, but for you, what does it mean to be a photographer? in this moment? First off, it's natural to question the meaning of what you're
2: doing in a time like this. I think you have to, you have to endure through that. You, you have to experience it, recognize that uncertainty, that questioning is there, but then you have to get past it,
1: mm-hmm. continue
2: creating, because you mm-hmm. realize that the world, I mean, not to sound too pretentious, but the world needs people who are creating things and also people with our mindsets need to continue to create. So yeah, I've had moments where I'm like, what the hell difference does it make if I shoot the exterior of a beautiful architectural home? Mm -hmm. But then I go, you know, what? every time there is every time I experience a hurdle or, or there's some sort of conflict in my world, I can't start questioning. Yeah what I'm doing with my life so I think you just have to dig deep and find that part of you that realizes that the most important thing in all of this is survival and for me to survive I have to be doing photography. not to sound too overwrought about it but
1: it's a kind of what you're saying about digging deep and finding that thing it's about finding some form of faith it's not necessarily spiritual or metaphysical faith but it's finding faith in the value and the worth of the thing that you're doing and not to say everything is vain and everything is futile and what fuck at all but to say no this i don't know what the value is i can't pinpoint i, can't, I definitely can't give you a, a number quantify it. but i can assert somewhere even in my gut that there is a reason that i'm doing this that it's got value that it will contribute to something and i think that's you know when i was talking about the premise of the interview series of creativity contributes meaning gives people meaning not only when they're doing it but when they're perceiving a creative act they're seeing something that shows the human potential and the human potential of a beautiful exterior a building it's breathtaking it's beyond our ability to even conceive it if we hadn't actually built these buildings you almost wouldn't think we could because some of them are the, the marvel in them is so magnificent it's so godlike we couldn't manipulate spaces to reflect our tastes
2: and our vision of the world these spaces that we spend most of our life in then then what are we we're, we're animals we we live yeah. in the wild but i think the, the one thing really that t- binds us together as species is the search for meaning right we all mm. all of us need some form of meaning whatever that may be some people find it in religion and others find it in creation yeah. and others find it in you know our, our president right now he finds meaning in dominance in transactions and you know so it's it's really if you want to make that meaning a moral and ethical imperative or if you just want to sort of. And, and yeah for the i mean it's all self-satisfying you know but it, it depends on whether or not what you're doing is a benefit to the world or at least innocuous or if it's harmful i think that's the first
1: i don't know that it's all self-satisfying but maybe most of it is but i think when you think about some, I mean, maybe there are the, you're satisfying some kind of need. Either if you think of creators or people who have borne witness, photographers who've borne witness, you know, Brady in the Civil War, or I'm sure there are plenty of Holocaust era photographers or writers who didn't really, the writing wasn't, a, you know, the kind of writing that I might do sitting in a cafe, which I thought I'd do that. But, you know, they did it because they felt they had to because there was that obligation and I think that we all can't aspire to that noble ideal but I think if we keep a part of that like a grain of that notion in us and to say I'm also here to bear witness I'm not just here to spin a yarn or to you know snap a glitzy Instagram photo you know, get a lot of clicks or whatever because that's I think when you do that's pretty satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is satisfying. But when it's only that, and it's not to say that Instagram is, you can't find meaning or provide meaning on Instagram. It's always about the how. But if without that little grain of saying, I'm here to bear witness. I'm here to show something that is worthy of other people's belief. Then I think it just becomes what we see in a lot of, particularly America today, but all over the world, which is cheap consumerist shit. Yeah, and I think it's nothing a lot more of it, depressing. It, it,
2: I think a lot of it is, are, are you willing to engage with what's in front of you, with the world, or not? And that's one of the things that, that's always attracted me to Judaism is this idea that, you know what, that the next world can wait. We live in this world. And that's our responsibility is to, to mm-hmm. where we are right now. Yeah. And there's no shirking the responsibilities of this life for the next yeah
1: and goes farther than that to say and i just i think that's the most profound tenet of judaism yeah
2: for sure is that it's not offering you any shortcuts and in fact in many ways judaism makes things tougher
1: yeah it's a it's a a long cut yeah that's for sure it's a cosmic long cut and it judaism goes so far as to say that if you negate somebody's life if you deny their life if you don't save a life when you could have it's as if you're destroying the whole world Mm -hmm. that's how that's how far it takes it the primacy and the value of life right here and right now like what you're saying and
2: so it always fascinates me when people talk about catholic guilt i'm
1: like catholics are
2: guilty If we make one slip up, it's like we've destroyed right. the whole world.
1: Right. It even says it. They just go to <laughs> hell. Okay, so yeah. one guy goes to hell. No biggie. It's like you're killing <laughs> 7 billion people. Exactly. Exactly. So It's a lot of responsibility.
2: So what is the global population of Judaism now? 18 million or something? I think it's
1: less, but I'm not 100% sure. I, it's, in, it's in that ballpark. Yeah, that ballpark. something like that, yeah. So, I mean, how, how many
2: how many Jews do you need? can there be on the planet when they have so much responsibility? <laughs> you only need
1: 13. Yeah, you only need 13, 14. You, know, you need the righteous. So what do, you, what do you see for yourself going forward? You know, is there a goal? Is there something, a path that you want to be on specifically? And how do you, even corona aside, how do you think about photography in a world of video, in a world of phone photography, if you want to call it photography, selfies? What does the path be? Gotcha. That's
2: a long answer. I, I think the, the path, forward is well i mean obviously it's uncertain more so now than it was before but uh for me i think it's just continuing to mature along with it i mean for me i've spent a lot of time during coronavirus thinking about these questions what what is the purpose of photography as an art form today when you know billions of photographs are being taken every day and uploaded and shared and I think the answer in that is, and it it might not be an answer that's ever fully arrived at is creating an image worth looking at for more than you know, 30 seconds. And whether or not that's a question of scale or subject matter, it's something I'm exploring. I'd like to start photographing or printing in large formats and photographing things that are maybe so banal and uninteresting that they become banal and uninteresting. I think for me, the most powerful thing about photography is that it makes you look in different ways and and it it expands the world, right? Like I can walk down the street and everything's just sort of like this homogenous block of buildings, or I can stop and I can look at that door or those steps or that railing and it becomes tiny little bits that make up the whole and thus it expands the world. You realize this just gigantic puzzle Mm. and that enables me to breathe a little bit more. I think it allows me to experience the world a little bit more. And I think that's the power of photography is that it stops Mm -hmm. a world that's constantly in motion
1: Mm -hmm.
2: as opposed to video, which just tries to keep up with that world. That's constantly in motion as opposed to painting, which can't literally show the world as it is. It's an interpretation. Mm -hmm. So I think that is what motivates me to continue picking up shooting making images and i have no interest in just strictly being a photographer i think yeah, it's photography something that can mix with other mm. you know disciplines such as, such as writing for one i i think you can present photograph i don't think photographs just have to be put up onto a, a gallery wall right. i think they can be experienced in different ways but um i think figuring out what photography is beyond just like a language of communication, like the written word is is something that motivates me to continue mm-hmm. with it and I, I think the uncertainty the questions I have about it that's part of my practice is sort of trying to figure out where photography sits in society, what mm-hmm. purpose it plays and but and I think that the like, sort of initial answer for me is it makes us look more intensely at things that we otherwise might not notice and for me personally like i said it it makes the world feel a little less small it sort of pushes back on a world that constantly seems like it's falling in on me Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm trying to go forward with an open mind without any expectation or goals per se but just to keep working harder than the next person and uh hopefully that will
1: bear fruit Mm -hmm. as they say Nice. I like that. I like the idea that the point is to explore what the point is. You know, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't think, cone. I don't,
2: I think, you know, if I was smarter, if I was more profit driven, I would only. I worry about the superficial, you know, I'd be posting pictures on my Instagram account of models, but like how many pictures of people posing in outfits who aren't smiling and are, you know, acting for the camera. Do you need it's, I, I, don't, I don't find that part of photography interesting whatsoever. Would I get more likes on Instagram and probably get, you know, more profitable jobs? Absolutely. But that's yeah. not my concern.
1: Well, it's also very thin in terms of, you know, it's a gold rush. There's a social media gold rush and gold rush is the gold always dries up quick. Yeah. And people are and just like, waiting. I'm just waiting for that to happen. So. It'll happen sooner than we think. And, you know, I think what you have to do as a creator who's involved in some level with meaning is plan for the long term, you know, put down deep roots and play that long game, hard as it is, because you're just out there by yourself, (laughs) creating into a void for all you know. And there's no, you know, exact opposite to the Instagram effect where you get the gratification in real time. That other way, if you take it to a bit more of an extreme, there is no, there is no response. There's no feedback mechanism that's built in. you got to find it, seek it out, and define it for yourself, what it means to have good feedback or to feel like that was the thing, even in the creating of it, not in the response to it. So that's a hard thing. It takes a lot of discipline and maturity, as you said. And maturity is not something, it's not a place you arrive at. It's, it's a constant process of becoming and also in a way of staying childlike as you deal with more and more shit in life. And temp- you become tempted to become the Instagram thing because it's cynical. It's a cynical play to say, "I'm going to cash in." Resisting that requires having something to hold on to inside yourself, and I think that's a lot of what we we're saying throughout this whole conversation. Is that, yeah. and, and, and I
2: think, about. and I think that is the exception, not the rule. Of For sure. Of course but I, I could easily, you know, curate an Instagram profile that, you know, has all of the different parts that would make it popular and successful. But I just don't have any interest in creating a brand. Yeah. And that's certainly how a lot of my peers approach it. I mean, that people be- created photography careers and other careers, obviously, out of their Instagram profiles and mm-hmm. have become some of, like minor celebrities because of it. Mm -hmm. But I realized that that is ephemeral and it's the easy route. And I'm, I'm just not inclined to take the easy route in life. I've never been that way. Why
1: start start now? Why
2: why start now? We'll see. We'll see what the future brings. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of uh, hunkering down and doing the work.
1: So when, when you're thinking about America... Just as a last question or two. You
2: can ask me as many as you want.
1: You know, thinking about America and, and about leaving America, and I've left America and I've kind of, you know, for better or worse, really for better, I've, been, I've landed here. Uh, what do you think about when you think about the whole wide world out there and realizing, so one thing, we we're talking about Jason. And Jason is just, Jason talks a lot about the fact that when you go out of, outside of America, and I know you recognize this because you spend so much time abroad, but you realize there is a world outside of America and things are not actually. It's America that's the insane exception to most of the rest of the world, even when we look at places that are kind of crazy, like Israel. And it's not that crazy when you're here. When when you go to America, you're like, what the hell is that? Or, you know, France or or Italy or other parts of Europe or Asia, where would you where do you think to to go and exist differently?
2: Well, to touch on that first is I th- I think you're seeing that play out right now in the United States unlike it really ever has as far as, you know, there is a large segment, a minority, but because of our electoral system, it has been able to obtain power that doesn't have an idea of the greater world. It doesn't realize that a lot of the things that it benefits from are because of globalization. And I'm not saying that globalization is perfect. Obviously, Lots of things to come with that. But this idea that uh America first and we need to become more focused on ourselves, I mean that's absurd it's, it's just absurd and it's wrong but um wait, what was your question
1: <laughs> where, where when you look outside of america too, gotcha. where where do you see that exploration I mean there is the fantasy world that I live in where I
2: you know would go live on like you know the south of France or the mount coast and just like you know this Gore Vidal life you know overlooking the. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm in New York because I want to create something for myself here right. and then I'll work my way mm-hmm. out into the world. Yeah. So in the in the near future, unless you know, things really yeah. escalate here and they become worst case scenario, I don't imagine that I'll be going anywhere. But if mm-hmm. I mean for example, on my like, I just redid my website and I'm like, Zach Ponson's a photographer, you know, I have one of those stupid third person about me pages now. And it's like a, just a sentence, but I, Zach Ponce, a photographer, photography lives between New York, Philadelphia, and Paris. And so it's like, yet yeah, do I actually live in Paris? No, I've been to Paris in like a year and a half. But it's it's there for me. I'm capable of getting there pretty easily. And once I'm there, there's no commitment. It's not like I'm committing lots of time and
1: money to having to be there. I can just hop over and stay with John. But isn't isn't um... I mean, this is this is almost separate from our conversation, but I feel like there is an element of commitment, which isn't a restriction, but a, a enablement. You know what I mean? Where you go and you commit and you pin down that money and that time. And then you really open the place up in a way that you can't when you're just coming and going. Yeah, no, exactly. That's why I come to New York to
2: do, to, to do that. Do it here. Right. Because this is where editors and other photographers and whatnot right. are.
1: So Which makes a lot of sense. It brings a different
2: cachet with it. If you're a New yeah. York photographer that's been able to get your work into X, Y, and Z, it's yeah. different than if you're a photographer who might be more financially successful, but who lives in you know, Oklahoma yeah. and shoots you know, corporate architecture t- towers or whatever. So it's a shifting landscape. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like in a month, especially, and that was before coronavirus. Right. But yeah, I, I want to, obviously, photography is a great tool for exploration, and I definitely want to use it for that. I want to be able to travel around. I've now gotten to the point where I need an idea in order to really want to photograph something. I'm not one of these people who can just go out onto the street and start photographing stuff because it, it's interesting and it'll look good on my Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say grew out of that, but evolved beyond it. Not to say there's anything wrong with it, but um, yeah, I mean, exploration for me is mental, but also physical. And for me, I use photography for both the mental and physical exploration Mm -hmm. that I see. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you told me five or ten years ago that I'd be a photographer living in Brooklyn right now, I would have been like, what are you talking about? So I don't know what's going to happen in five years. Right. I don't know what's going to happen in a year, two years.
1: But- but then, that's the adventure. I mean, it's, it's almost a cheesy term, but I think of it in my own life as mm. if you embark on that creative journey in a serious way, you're going on an adventure one way or another because it, it is so much unknown. I mean, life is oh. always unknown, but in that case, it's even more so because you're just willingly giving up control over so many things. And oh, having yeah. to commit and I to mean I've, given up, I've given up control. I, it's, if a
2: psychiatrist was to analyze me, they'd probably be like, you're out of your mind. You're doing it totally wrong based on what your needs are. And I, I remember Joan, I read something Jodan Didion, right? Where she was like, she had like a mental breakdown and her doctor was like, you need to live a sedentary life without a lot of conflict in it which of course she did not end up leading, but, you know, in order for her to quote, unquote, flourish or, or live, live a comfortable life, she needed to sort of cut off the exterior world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that a, a lot of people that need to do that would counterintuitively actually suffer even more
1: from doing Of course, it. of course, because um, they, they sink into that. There's no point of growth. There's no there's no friction to pull against. That's, exactly. that's the and thing. Is that's what you want, but it's not what you need. That's what Joan Didion may have wanted. It's a comfortable life, but it's not what she probably knew better. It's not what she needed. Yeah, I mean, if I could, I would, you know, sit in my
2: apartment and, I don't know, do the trades and never leave except to go to, like, Peter Luger's and buy $200 worth of steak. Well, that you can. Be, you got it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's available to you. But I'll feel a little out of my price range when I'm there. Right. But the only thing that makes me more anxious than going out into the world is not.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I sort of pinned down this this uh, truth, at least in my world, where experience is meaning.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, We give life meaning, and for me, we give it meaning through experience. And you have to get experience out in the world, like right? meeting new people and exploring. Like I'm not, naturally an outgoing or social person but I'm seen by people in my social circle as being that type of person which mm-hmm. I always find amusing mm-hmm. like oh Zach you know all sorts of random people and you have friends all over the world and I'm like it's very ironic you know and I've done it more so since I've become a photographer where I just reach out I reach out to the photographer I'm like hey can we meet Great. and talk yeah. and I, that's just not naturally who I am yeah. it's something that I force myself to be Come because it enriches me. Because it helps me. It helps me grow, and it creates new experiences. I have photographer friends who are very successful at what they do, are very interesting. But I would never have met or spend time with if I hadn't, you know, taken the initiative to reach out. My, you know, when I was living in Rome, I I went to a bookstore and right off of the Campo de' Fiori, a little photo bookstore. This guy basically had a had a little room at the corner of you know piazza and half the books inside weren't for sale the other books you know didn't necessarily even have prices on them you know he, he was there sometimes it was sort of his living room it's where he went to hang out
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the first time i went in there he was like sitting there with friends like you know drinking wine like you'd mm-hmm. expect Nice, that's cool and you know we went through some of the the books there he's like well what photographers do you like and I told him a couple of photographers with the time I really was into and so he pulled down a couple of books of Italian photographers one of them I was so intrigued by I reached out to them like yeah next time you're around let me know you'll come see me in uh, my hometown and I ended up going doing that in the fall or wow. no that's that's summer well wow. I spent four cool. days with him I'm still in contact and close with him i became pretty close with some of his friends and we spent a day with his mentor who's a very famous photographer Guido wow meeting, what an amazing who experience. who i who i also still have some contact with be like well what's that from time to time you know mm-hmm. um so i would have never created those relationships or had yeah. that experience if i hadn't just been like i'm going to email this guy and tell him that i appreciate enjoy his work and i'd love to be around him and sometimes you know there's a lot of people who find that weird like why does someone want to like meet me or get to know me mm-hmm. and i think that's the wrong way of. It. Totally. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a very humanistic approach it's like what do we have if we don't have each other right yeah and so um i just want to be around i, I want to know what drives people what um inspires them and to uh, and even more uh what's the word i don't know but it's uh even more to the point just who they are, right. who who they are, and why do they do what they do? Right. Why and it helps me understand who I am and why I do what I do. If I sure. can meet other photographers and be like, oh well, that's what they're doing, how they're seeing things, and yeah. This sure. is what's motivating them. So it helps me reflect on myself. Yeah. And, and um,
1: it's the 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 thrust behind.
2: Yeah, this, and it's totally outside my comfort zone. Totally outside. I mean, but I've decided that you know I only get one shot at, at life, as far as I know. And so I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. because that for me is what gives life meaning is yeah. uh, addressing your fears, trying to overcome living, living a life that not the life that you were given, but the life that you create, you create for yourself. Yeah.
1: That was always my thing when I was a younger, was finding the life. That I would create. That was always and, the and, life and, I wanted to live. And, and that's not to sound entitled. I understand that I'm very fortunate.
2: I've had opportunities given to me that not a lot of people have. Everybody
1: creates their own life. That was what Viktor Frankl was saying in Manso Meaning. is that even in yeah. a prison, even in a concentration camp, you even a slave can create his own. It's exactly. much harder, much, much, much harder. But you can create your life for the positive and for the negative, because you can create your life even having everything, all the advantages, you can tell yourself a story about failure or about unfairness or whatever. And that's creating your life as well. We, we all create our own lives. We all tell our own stories. Vonnegut has a great
2: line in Breakfast, of Ch- or uh, in Mother Night. I think it's in Mother Night, uh, where he goes, You are what you pretend to be. So you have to be careful what you pretend to be. Yeah. And, uh, right. and I've never taken that literally, but it does ring true to me yeah. in the sense that we are creating ourselves. From scratch, right? And so we have to be careful who, what we are creating.
1: Yes, it's tough. And it's tough, especially for people who are sort of in the middle. You know what I mean? It's like you're not diving into a consumer culture or just, you know, devoting your life to making money on the one hand, or on the other hand, you're not totally in an ascetic or spiritual mode and just completely wrapped in that. Being in the middle is a lot harder. Than either of those two ends, you know, where you're Absolutely. half and And, half and half. look, I recognize
2: that the default mentality of the human race is to find comfort and certainty. I totally understand I have those yeah. same impulses. And I also understand that 95% of the world responds to those impulses sure. and only those impulses. Yeah. And I'm not saying you or I are brave for rebelling against, per se. I think there's a bravery that goes along with it for sure. It insanity you, have to too. Find,
1: you have to find that bit of courage with but with anything. Um, with anything that takes a little bit of, of going against the grain. You've got to find that bit of courage to keep going. Not to start. To start to start is pretty easy. But to continue through it through that roughness of it. Um but again, that's you know, that's the dream of being an explorer. That's the dream of all these great explorers of the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries of the Americas, exploring new rivers and tributaries and when they use the word explore them they're using it as a verb to mean to discover them to map them to find territory that was unmapped and to create maps of them that's how you explore the territory and that's the same thing you're creating a map of something that's that's uncharted exactly and all those to
2: continue the the metaphor it's all you know all those explorations were exhausting and
1: terrifying of course and, and ruinous yeah but we don't think of them in that way. No, we think of the glory. Yeah, exactly. And we so tell a wonderful story. Exists. It's a great book about Teddy Roosevelt's exploring of, I think it was a tributary of the Orinoco River in the Amazon rainforest. And it's crazy. This is after he was president. He's I actually, so I just finished reading my friend Mike's book. Yeah.
2: And he has a section in there about Teddy Roosevelt. Because cool. Teddy Roosevelt went to North Dakota yeah. before he became president. And it yeah. sort of formed him. You know, he worked on a cattle ranch and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: He
2: totally stepped outside his comfort zone. He was a, you know, rich yes. New York kid.
1: Yeah, that, and, was, um, that was his life, to push himself yeah. beyond his boundaries, always. Exactly. And it was, also, it was also deadly. It was also ruinous. It was also a hardship, but he loved most of it, I mean, months.
2: But I'm sure when he was on his deathbed, he's like, "I live my life intensely." And yes. that's what I always,
1: I, you know, there's a, you
2: know, Michelle Welbeck in the book, the his uh, book, "The Map and the Territory," which came out maybe in like 2012. Mm-hmm. He, he inserts himself as a character. In mm-hmm. that. And at one point, he's Michelle Welbeck of the book. Miss talking to the, you know, the, the main protagonist, this guy. I think his name was Jed Martin, who's like a conceptual artist. Jed Martin went to see Michelle Welbeck at his, you know, beautiful house in Ireland that had absolutely no furniture and was falling Michelle Welbeck. Jed Martin says to Michelle Welbeck, something to the extent of like, you're sitting around drinking and chain smoking he's like yeah i'm tired but if i go tomorrow i'll at least know that i had lived an intense life mm-hmm. that i'd lived it intensely for whatever period of time yeah and that
1: it's like hitchens in a way
2: i won't regret it basically mm-hmm. was what he was saying or saying, yeah. what how i read it and um i have the same mentality
1: mm.
2: like even if i die now
1: a- i'm looking for longevity personally but um you're looking for what longevity oh
2: I thought you said we were saying I'm looking for lunch. I was <laughs> like,
1: I'm usually I usually am looking for lunch, but um,
2: no, of course, longevity is the goal. I mean, I'm not as self-destructive as Mich- the Sh- Michelle Welbeck character. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of the public persona of Michelle Welbeck was exactly that—a public persona. Right. But I recognize the the point that he was making. Um,
1: all right, man. Well, thank you for your time doing this. It was really cool.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, head over to TheBurningCastle.com to gain access to all interviews and tweet us at Burning Castle if you have feedback on this week's episode. Be sure to tune in for the next episode.